Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody, it is Thursday, March 30th, 2023, and it is indeed a heck of a morning. We are live on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces. You can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. I am Mike Heck. Hope everyone's having a fantastic week. A very rare non-UFC week, but that does not mean that there are not combat sports event events for all of us to partake in. We got Bellator 293 tomorrow. Saturday, we got Anthony Joshua, we got Gamebred Boxing 4, we got PFL 1 kicking off the 2023 season. So there's lots of face punching. There's a fight circus. Forgot about fight circus as well. Gotta love fight circus. So there's lots of combat sports events for you all to partake in. And I don't really have a game plan for the show today there's no real monologue or anything uh all i'll say is the last 48 hours or so uh i've been working on something and when i first kind of had the idea to start working on this i was like this is probably something that i can get done in like a day or two and then as i talked to many many people about this concept and did a bunch of interviews for it i realized that is not going to happen uh, there is a lot to this. So for those who are a fan of the long-form features and the sort of mini-doc podcast things that I put together, uh, we got one coming. And it is going to be a doozy. And it is absolutely insane. I was talking to Shaheen Alshadi about it yesterday because I was a little overwhelmed by it all. Um, and then we kind of laid out the way that it should go. And I was telling about some of the stories that I was being told, uh, some of the nuances to it all. And he was like, eyes open, blown away, uh, all sorts of craziness. So uh, that's what I've been working on the last couple of days. That's something I'll continue to work on for the next few days, uh, whether I'm on or off schedule. And hopefully we can get that released early next week. Uh, before, Obviously before UFC 287 would be my goal. But this is uh, this is a story, folks. Uh, it's probably like if you guys really thought about it, I think you guys would figure out what I'm doing it on. If you go back to some of the past podcasts and some of the timely nature of some of those past podcasts, but uh, this is pretty wild. So stay tuned for that. 
But for the most part, we're just going to talk to you all and see what is on your mind. So let's kick things off, shall we? Tristan, you're up. You hear me? Yes. Hey, Mike. Um, I just wanted to say this, and um, I just want your thoughts about this. Um, I think I probably brought it up before, but um, I remember when you had said about Dustin Poirier, and you said, "Man, we don't we don't appreciate what Dustin Poirier has done, or just or Justin Gaethje, or for that matter, Edson Barbosa." And I, I just really think that that really like hit me in a way where, you know what, I'm going to sit back and just enjoy these fighters and enjoy the moment in time while they're still in the sport. Because, and especially also listening to Damn They Were Good about Ben, ben, and Henderson, ben Henderson. And like, we, we talked, and you said it plenty of time, talking about rankings, pound for pound, it's all silly. And just made me really sit back and just be like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy these fighters. Maybe they'll be champions. Maybe they're not. But you know what? If they're exciting and they're putting their all into it, you know what? I'm just going to sit back and just relax and enjoy those moments. Because, I mean, years go by quick. And, you know, you're not, you you know, you're not, they're not going to be fighting for long. They're not going to be fighting forever. And, you know, that even when you were talking about with the, how, like, with the Boston the Boston teams where you were like, you know, you, you were upset for the week or depressed for the week. And it's just like, you know what? Like I really need to sit back and enjoy these moments with these fighters because again, they're not going to be around for very long. And I just feel like fans need to be, in my opinion, I think fans need to really just enjoy these moments, enjoy the fighters. Maybe, you know, your favorite fighter, maybe they'll be champion. Maybe not. Like you said, like Armin Saruki, you put it in the air, like that, that was going to be champion. But we don't really know for sure. Maybe, maybe not. But you know what? I'm going to enjoy him when he fights. I'm going to be tuned in. And that's that. I, I just, that really just, when you had said that, I'm going to really change my mindset of how to look at these fighters and not get frustrated all the time. So just your thoughts on that. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's something I, I try. I try not to be negative unless – you know, if there's certain things in the news that need to be reacted on and they're really bad, then I will talk negative. But when it comes to like certain fighters, you know, I- I'm hard on some of them. I'm hard on Henry Cejudo probably more than than any other fighter, if we're being honest. But I don't dog Henry's resume and him as a actual competitor because his resume is phenomenal and his fights are great. And what he has done in the sport is there are very few that can match it. It's just the stuff that I have a hard time with as far as Henry goes is just the way he kind of conducts himself as a character. And you could say the same thing about Colby and others. But when it comes to like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a weird thing. Like Dustin Poirier is just a dog, man. And like, he's one of those, there are certain fighters that as you watch their careers progress, you think to yourself, we're going to look fondly upon this fighter much more when they're gone. And I think Daniel Cormier is like a prime example of that. He's a guy that was getting booed when he was fighting John Jones. Dude, dude was getting booed out of the building. He was like one of the good guys and just getting booed out of the building. And he was always a guy that I thought, man, when he's gone, we're going to appreciate his career a lot more. 
I think Demetrius Johnson is probably the president of that fan club. He's going to be a guy that when he calls it a career and moves on to other things, he's going to be a guy that we look back upon and we're like, wow, this guy was unbelievable, but we didn't give him the credit that he deserved. And I, and I think there's a lot of other fighters like that. I think Dustin Poirier is starting to get a little bit of that shine. Gaethje is kind of amassed to that point where anytime Justin fights, you just know it's going to be incredible. So he's graduated to that point, and he probably should have been looked at in that way before he came to the UFC. Chandler has kind of become that guy, but he wasn't always that guy. And then we did a damn they were good. If you guys want a, a little retrospective on Benson Henderson, man, what an interesting career that guy had. And I think a lot of people – just kind of look at the tail end of his UFC run and all the split decisions and him going up and down weight classes. But people forget how important he was to the sport. Because we did like the Mount Rushmore's and stuff, and you have to pick like four fights uh, that were like the most pivotal for his career. And there's some obvious ones. Like obviously the first Donald Cerrone fight is, it's one of the best fights of all time. It won fight of the year. Benson Henderson won fight of the year two years in a row for MMA fighting, 2009 and 2010. 2009 with Donald Cerrone, that fight still holds up today from the WEC days. 2010 fight of the year was the Anthony Pettis fight, the final fight ever in WEC. The Showtime kick, all that. That fight is just ridiculous. It's so good. And people forget that between... 2009 and 2013 when he fought Pettis again and got kind of run over and lost the UFC title, you can make a very strong case that during that four-year stretch, Benson Henderson was the best fighter in the world. And people forget about that. There's a lot of newer fans that only know the Bellator Benson. They, they weren't around for the WEC Benson and the, the UFC champion run that Benson Henderson had. This is a guy who beat the hell out of Nate Diaz in his best title defense to the point where Nate, like how many times have you ever seen Nate Diaz actually go up to a fighter when it's over and like raise the fighter's hand and be like, yep, that dude whooped my ass. He did that that night against Benson Henderson, who by the way, did that whole entire performance with a freaking toothpick in his mouth. Like that is Benson Henderson. What an interesting career. Benson is when we try to tie it all together at the very end, Benson Henderson to me is he is the professional fighter. He's the professional fighter. He's a professional in the cage. He's professional during fight week. He's a professional out of it. He's the kind of guy that if you want to send anybody out to represent your sport at like a sports convention, please represent us in the best way. Benson Henderson would be my first phone call every single time. It's fighters like that. That, And that's why I love that Jed does this damn they were good show because it's not about – like sometimes we're going to do like the Mount Rushmore fighters, like the, the four or five best fighters ever. But that show is about the Benson Hendersons of the world who their career is just so fascinating and so interesting that people forget just how good they were. And even Jed admitted during the show that as he was going through and looking back at some of the tape, he didn't even, he forgot how good Benson Henderson was. And that was a great deep dive for all of us. So yeah, I think that's a great attitude to have. Now, are there certain fighters that are going to say stupid shit and rub you the wrong way? Sure. Uh, but they're not all like that. They're not all like that. 
And Dustin Poirier is, is, is one of those guys that we're not going to have forever. He's talked about it. He's a family guy. He's won in a lot of ways. He's won the damn game, and he never won an undisputed title, at least to this point. But his career is just – it's going to be an all-time great. There's definitely going to be a damn they were good about Dustin Poirier. There's definitely going to be a damn they were good about Justin Gaethje, Demetrius Johnson, all these guys who were so good but don't get the credit that they deserve for being as good as they were. And, not, and I'm not just talking about in the octagon and in the cage. I'm talking about out of it too. There are, there are some bad seeds, but there are some great seeds too. And, yeah, I, I think it's important to appreciate the athletes while we have them because the, the, the shelf life for an MMA fighter, it's not a long one. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, look at Ta- Tatiana Suarez. She was gone for almost four years. We didn't even know if she would ever come back. And now she's back. So we need to appreciate that. Appreciate the run while she's on it. Other fighters uh, uh, as well. There's going to be a lot of fighters right now. There's a lot of fighters right now who are not going to be around for that long. So we got to enjoy them while we have them. So good start to the show, Tristan. Nice and positive. Four Quarter Sports, hello. Hey, Mike. So I wanted to ask you a question. So I was thinking about it last night, and we've had this topic before in the past where we would discuss, you know, should does Kobe, why does Kobe going to get the shot for the What's Play title? I mean, realistically, sometime during the summer. But I have a question for you. Between these two fighters, who really is more deserving of a title shot between Kobe Covington and Steve Miocic? One fighter was gone for over a year and counting, and another fighter is, has been gone for now more than two years and counting. And if you look at the resumes, if you look back from like 2019, Kobe has fought Robbie Lawler, has fought um, Kamaru Usman twice, fought Jorge Masvidal. Another fighter since 2019 has fought Daniel Cormier twice and got knocked out by Francis Ngannou. So my question is, who do you think is the more deserving fighter from a compelling resume standpoint? And what are your thoughts about Ilya Saporia versus Josh Emmett? Because I saw Big Marcel ended up announcing that it's going to be a fight happening, I think, in June. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, so we haven't completely confirmed that one yet. But uh, it looks from conversations we had. Ah, man. Damn it. Damn it, AK. Posting in our Slack channel. Uh, It's not like world-shattering news, but a fight I was looking forward to for tomorrow's Bellator card, uh, Jaleel Willis versus the long-returning Rustam Kabilov. No longer happening uh, at Bellator 293. I was looking forward to that fight. That was a fascinating fight. Damn it. That stinks. Oh, well. We live and we, uh, we evolve and we deal with a card without it. That was a damn good fight, though. I was actually talking to Big John McCarthy the other day, and uh, we were talking about that fight in particular for for a few minutes, and we're both like really fascinated by that one. That ah, sucks. Oh well. Yeah, we haven't fully confirmed uh, Taporia Josh Emmett, uh, but I love that fight. I love that fight. I believe. I believe that's a not no point potentially for me, or at least a piece of one. 
I have to go back and listen. I never remember my no picks, uh, but I think that's the one that I that I chose. I could be wrong, but I like that fight. That's that's the fight to make. That's the fight to make. Your other question is a no brainer. Um, Colby is the correct answer. We talk like we we've mentioned right now. There's three guys in line for titles that are in the kind of the same boat. Colby's one of them. Henry Cejudo's another, and it's it's Stipe. Like Stipe is, Stipe is probably the least is is clearly the least deserving of the three, because in a world where John Jones doesn't exist, and John Jones doesn't make this call out, and the UFC is not all in on the John Jones business, this fight like Stipe is not fighting for a heavyweight title. He's just not. John has the power. John has the pull. If John wants Stipe. They're going to do everything in their power to give John Jones Stipe. That's it. There are five or six heavyweights right now who deserve a title shot more than Stipe does. 100%. You can't make that same argument for Colby. You can't. Because the, like, the better option for the UFC right now, and it's all business, it's not from a merit perspective, it's Mazadol if he docks out Gilbert Burns. And he probably deserves it. And Colby... 50-44, Mazadal. So Bilal is like the most deserving, but from a compelling and a money-making potential, it's Colby and Mazadal, and that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, it's Stipe by a, by a mile is the least deserving. But he's going to get it because I, I, either way, I think this is Stipe's last fight. I think everybody knows that. And I think if John's not even in play here, Stipe's probably not, never fighting again. So it's it's a one-off. I think the UFC is confident that John will just run over Stipe and send him into retirement. But yeah, it's, it's Colby deserves the title shot more than Stipe does. He does. It's not even. It's not a. It's not a debate in my eyes. Now, some people might look at it differently, but I don't. That's just how I feel. Neither really truly deserves it from a merit standpoint. But if you're giving me one over the other, it's. I mean, and New York Rick is the one who sold me on this more than anybody it's Stipe it's Stipe but Colby is if it, who who deserves it more between those two guys it's Colby but it's I don't know it's not not a fun conversation to have really but yeah Colby is more deserving than Stipe Henry, Henry Cejudo is more deserving than Stipe because <laughs> you can make it I think that might be the more interesting question is which one's more egregious, Cejudo getting the shot or, or, or Colby getting it? I understand Cejudo was a former champion, but just the way he left and the way that the Bantamweight division looks right now with all these contenders and all these compelling matchups, I mean, you can make a case that Cejudo getting a shot is way more, is, is more egregious than Colby. But like I said, I respect everything Cejudo's done. It's just the way that he left, and then he just comes back and cuts the line after almost three years. I don't know. But, again, none of this should should surprise anybody. This is how the UFC does it, and that's the world we live in. We just have to accept it. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch 
against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Uh, Paradise, hello. Hey, buddy. Ronnie from Paradise. What's going on, Mike? Not much, man. How are you? I'm great. Listen, this weekend, I'm a UFC snob. I'm going to get that out of the way right off the bat. I'm going to my first PFL event. It's right nice. across the street from us at the Virgin. And I went and caught uh, Ray Longo's guy, Marab, at the, uh, at the Virgin at the beginning of the month in the Virgin Theater. I'm telling you, hands down, I go to every pay-per-view event in Vegas. I haven't missed one in like seven years. Best crowd, best venue. You're literally on top of the of the cape. It, it's insane. It was, it was such a good crowd. If they ever have another goddamn show on the Apex, it's fucking criminal. Anyways, moving on, <laughs> moving along. Um, I mean, it was, look, I get it. In, in the beginning, it was pretty cool hearing the, you know, the punches and, you know, and it was out of necessity and I get it, but come on, we're, we're past that shit. Um, anyways, the, uh, we're going, you know, the PFL this week, my good buddy Dewey, his boy Bubba's uh, going back in the tournament. So it's in the neighborhood. Got to check it out. I'm excited to see if the crowd is half as good as it was for that uh, for that UFC fight. It'll be more than worth it. So uh, just saying that real fast. Also, you know, I, I know everybody's outraged about just since the last comment. Everybody's outraged about Colby getting the shot and Stipe and Cejudo and get. But we get it. It's all business and shit. The Stipe thing. I couldn't agree more. I feel like he would be on his way after he didn't get a, you know, an immediate. I don't think he's ever gotten an immediate uh, rematch, has he? He didn't get Zingano because he lost and he hasn't fought since. And he didn't get DC. Didn't didn't uh, Derek Lewis fight DC in between that? Yeah, but Stipe's next fight was DC because they needed a main event for MSG, so they just asked those two guys to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair, fair. My point. I mean. Is he the greatest heavyweight of all time? I, you know, you can argue his his resume is sick. I mean, I believe he's knocked out everybody he's fought except Ngano. He just ragdolled him for five rounds in Boston, if I'm not mistaken. But 
I could see a prime Stipe actually giving John Jones fucking hell with his with his combination of uh, stand up and wrestling and whatnot. But I mean, <laughs> if the same John Jones walks in. I mean, obviously, Stipe won't be afraid of him, but, I mean, how the hell is that fight going to go? He's got, I mean, Stipe's, what, 41, 42? I don't know. Love the guy, but I think you're right. It's on the way out either way. Win or lose, that's a wrap. Um, that's it, boys. Uh, like I said, I'll uh, check in on the PFL. It was, um, we'll see if it, uh, if it holds a candle. I've heard it's amazing comparatively to everything else going on besides the UFC, so we'll see. Everybody have a great day. Yeah, uh, I don't think – I mean, I'll, I'll be curious to see what the crowd looks like for that. I don't think it'll be like a legit sellout. Uh, the PFL just doesn't have that kind of buzz. But I think I actually think it's like a perfect venue to hold this event and, and hold these cards. I like the, the little residency they're doing for this first round. So, yeah, and, and I agree with you that, you know, watching that fight night card – with that crowd was just, it was just so much better. It was just so much better. And the funny thing about it is, I mean, that wasn't the plan. The only reason it was at there, it was at that building is because they were doing the, the stupid slap fighting thing at the apex. Otherwise, if the slap fighting thing didn't exist, that card would have been at the apex. But for those who are fans of the apex, don't you worry they will be back. Uh, they got two shows at the Apex in April. Uh, the Pavlovich Blades card, which, I mean, that's about as Apexy as you can get. Uh, and then Sarukian Moicano, that card with that main event uh, will also be at the Apex. But from there, hopefully, uh, that's like the last Apex show we get for a minute. May 13th. Oh, we got May 6th. We got 288. That's in New Jersey. May 13th. Uh, I've heard multiple locations for that. Uh, Jacksonville was in play for a while. Uh, then Nashville sort of became the, the favorite. And now Charlotte, North Carolina, is now the front runner for May 13th. It's not 100% done yet. Uh, but that seems to be the plan right now is, uh, is Charlotte, North Carolina getting that Anthony Smith, Johnny Walker card. May 20th, no location. June 3rd, no location. But hopefully they're traveling. And then it looks like UFC 289 will be, at least for right now, and by the way, it's not even, you know, with Ariel reporting it as well, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, the favor for UFC 289 on June 10th. But again, conversation I had, not done. It's the front runner. Wouldn't be shocked if it happens. Uh, but it looks like that's the case. But hopefully after the 22nd and the 29th, we're out of the damn apex for, for the foreseeable future. Keep the apex around for Ultimate Fighter. Keep it around for Contender Series. You got uses for it, but you don't need to host UFC cards there. Uh, Rob, hello. Hey, Mike. How you doing, my brother? Hope all is well. How are you? You too, man. How are you? 
Uh, not too bad, brother. Not too bad. I just wanted to just get your opinion on uh, on the conversation, the GOAT debate again, because I know that uh, I was watching the Arrow Hawani show and he had mentioned about, you know, the John Jones versus the Khabib thing. And kind of similar to what I mentioned in a previous question is like sometimes I feel like the MMA media doesn't ask the right questions because I always wonder all this conversation about weight bullies. How come never nobody ever asked about Habib not moving up to welterweight? Because if you look at the stats, statistically speaking, most welterweights are around like five, nine to six foot. Habib is five, ten and he walks around around 190 pounds so they call this guy the goat but two things out of context is he's a weight bull he cuts down to tons of weight and, and early in his career he had a lot of weight misses and nobody seems to really hone in on that another thing is that um you know compared to john jones i mean john jones has 16 title defenses whereas habib outside of mcgregor gaethje and poirier a lot of his competition was fairly unknown so i just wanted to know in your opinion what's your stance on the whole habib being the goal thing and why he didn't move up to welterweight when he probably should have um, so, I mean, Habib took a, a, if you were a fan during the heyday of Habib and mostly the Habib, Tony Ferguson situation, um, uh, Habib took a beating for the weight misses. I mean, for years, it was, it was almost the point where like, after, was it the, was it 209? UFC 209? They were going to do, um. Habib versus Tony Ferguson didn't happen. Uh, Habib had like a bad weight miss, and that's where like the Terran Masu thing came to be. So, oh yeah, I mean, Habib took a beating for a long time with the weight misses. Um, seemed to figure it out and whatever. I, I never considered, like, I don't, I never considered Habib the GOAT. Now, if you want to say he's the best lightweight of all time, I'm okay with that. That was one of the conversations we had with the, with the Benson Henderson, damn, they were good episode is like, you know, is Benson Henderson a top five lightweight of all time? And as we narrowed it down, one and two is a lock. It's either Habib one or BJ Penn one. If you want to do Habib one, BJ Penn two or BJ Penn one, Habib two, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Those, those two are locked. That's one and two. And then the others you could fill out and it's, I mean, you could, you could scramble them. And I actually think Benson Henderson probably squeaks into the number five spot, mostly because of that run between 2009 and 2013. Um, but Habib just, his resume was great. Didn't have a ton of title defenses. Didn't have a ton of finishes. Uh, he dominated everybody he fought. He only lost like two rounds in his entire career. Like it's just ridiculous, just ridiculous this resume that he put together. But I don't, I don't put him in the goat conversation. Where I put him when he when he retired, as to me, I thought he was, I thought he was the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. When he left after he beat Justin Gaethje, he was the guy. He was the best fighter in the world. He was the best fighter in the world after he beat Justin Gaethje. But to say he's the greatest fighter of all time, no, he's not. He's not. Great resume, it's just not there. He doesn't have the title defenses, like you said. There's a lot of other things that sort of factor into it. Uh, I never really considered him a weight bully because, yeah, he missed weight, but he figured it out. And, and when it truly mattered down the stretch, he made the weight. Uh, so he got past it, and that's it. But he, had, he did struggle. He had some issues with it, but he figured it out, and – made the weight and won the belt and defended it and all that. But 
is could you put him like top ten of all time? I think there's a case to be made, but to put him as number one, just not no, no, it's just not there. It's John or GSP. It's those are the guys. And if you put the PED stuff in play and that holds a lot of weight for you, then it's GSP. If it doesn't, then it's John. And Habib's resume is not as good as Anderson Silva's. And to me, it wasn't as good as Demetrius Johnson's in the UFC. The title defenses matter. That stuff matters. Wins matter, but title defenses, it's like you get an extra point or two when it comes to statistically putting that list together. And Habib just didn't have the title defenses. Now, had he stuck around and kept going, he probably would have gotten them. Because I just don't know if anybody at 55 beats Habib. He's not going to fight Makachev. And I think Habib just beats everybody. So if he stuck around for another two years and defended the belt five or six more times, maybe we're having a different conversation. But he just doesn't have the title defenses. You could make a strong case he should have fought for the belt a lot sooner than when he did, but he didn't. And that's it. Jed, Jed calls Habib, he kind of compares him to Jordan. Uh, not, to, not from the greatest, but just the way that like Habib was on top. He was the dude. He was, about, he was on pace to make this legendary run. We were all getting ready for it. And then he just said, nope, I'm done. I'm walking away. I think that's a pretty good comparison. Just for that sense. Doesn't not I'm ta- not talking about like the greatest in the history of the sport scenario, but just the timing of when he decided to call it a career and walk away. But hey, did it his way, did it on his terms. Tremendous fighter, tremendous resume. He's just not the best fighter of all time. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Tremendous run but not the greatest of all time. Maybe the greatest lightweight of all time, but not the greatest fighter of all time. Mikey, hello. It's funny, you just mentioned how Habib probably should have fought for the title in the previous conversation we were having because there was a really good argument at the time, even though he wasn't a commodity in terms of like being a draw, but Habib could have fought Ben Henderson and I'm really still salty it never happened. Plus, it, you know, the thing with the Abib conversation is that nobody really tries to have it on an even playing field. It's like, you're either, it's like you're either hardcore hundred percent Habib bias or anything said to the contrary is considered hating. You know what I mean? It's like nobody ever tries to have a nuanced conversation about Habib's career. And that's what really is the most frustrating thing. You know, they conflate, they, a lot of fans always conflate. Well, he's 29 and oh, I'm like, were they all in the UFC? No. Well, he went undefeated in the UFC. I'm like, yes, but where was the line of demarcation where he stopped fighting prospects and started fighting like the top of the division? You know what I mean? Because, you know, to go from you, Abe Trujillo is not Dustin Poirier. You know what I mean? Daryl Horcher is not Justin Gaethje. You know, now a lot of that too is also not his fault because, you know, Life happens. I mean, remember when he was supposed to fight Cowboys Roney and then he pulled out for injury? You know, of course, the, the amount of times he was supposed to fight Tony, uh, you know, and the fact, you know, there are so many factors that worked against Habib. I mean, he could have actually had a genuine code conversation if he fought like the top of the division 
during his run, but there was a lot of guys he didn't get to fight, and that's not his fault. So that's really what kind of hurts him from that perspective, you know. So, but yeah, and as far as the Ben Harris thing, Ben Harris is actually my favorite lightweight of all time. Um, I think he really genuinely does. It's funny you mentioned Gaethje and all those guys. It's like, oh, they're going to remember. I think those guys, they're going to be safely remembered. You know, like everyone's going to, you say Justin Gage, you could be like, yeah, that guy was pretty freaking good. Ben Henderson might be number one or top five in terms of those fighters where you're like, if you, if you mention it to people, they'll be like, was he really that good? I'm like, no, he, you had to be there kind of guy. You know, it's like, yeah, he really was that freaking good. I mean, in his prime, I know he, he had an early submission loss in his career, but in his prime, no one could tap him. Nobody could knock him out. Just he was the best lightweight that I've ever seen at that point. And people argue with it. It's just that, you know, they were like, oh, he, he barely beat Frankie Edgar. And I'm like, he he's one of like the few people that have ever beaten prime Frankie Edgar more than once. So, and uh, one last thing, it's Mania weekend. What do you think? We're the final bookings. You know, may, uh, I'm starting to get sold a little bit on Cody losing, but I still think he's going to win. And what do you think will main event night one? So thanks guys. Be kind to each other. Um, I, I guess they're going to announce it on first take. I don't know if they've already done that yet or not, but, um, I would guess they're going to go, I would guess they're going to go Charlotte and Rhea Ripley. That's what I think. But I, I would totally understand if they went with, uh, the Usos and Sammy and KO. I mean, that's the best story. That that whole storyline is pro. It might be the best storyline in in the history of professional wrestling. Like it's so good. It's the only thing that's keeping me like positively invested as a pro wrestling fan right now is that storyline. It's just so good. Everything about it has been incredible. I mean, just compelling stuff. And I heard Paul Heyman talk about this, and I actually think it's true. Um. All those guys could be nominated for Emmys right now with how good they have been. Roman, Cody, Sammy, KO, even the freaking Usos. Everything about it has been just compelling shit. And there has not been one negative or bad moment in any of it. It's just been unbelievable. It's just been unbelievable. And that just shows you, you don't need to book something right away and throw MJF and Brian Danielson in a 60-minute Ironman match for the first friggin' match they ever have together. We can build things up over periods of time and tell stories. It's beautiful. Uh, I think Cody will win. I think it'll be freaking anarchy if he doesn't. Um, but I get why he might not because of you know trying to get Roman to 1,000 days as champion. Maybe they, I don't know. I just think you have to give it to Cody at this point. Like the story's all there. Yeah, I, I don't know if you could do it. I don't know if you could, you could bamboozle the fans. Like you'd send them home so angry. I don't know if you could do that. I don't know if you could do that. So I think Cody will win. I think Sammy and KO will win. Maybe they won't. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in Mania. I'll tell you that right now. I'm totally interested in it. I'm totally interested in it. And then kind of going back to the Benson Henderson thing, yes. Benson might be the most criminally underrated fighter in the history of the sport. 
Because he just people just don't know. There's just so many newer fans that just do did not see that like the Benson Henderson is champion. And you're right about no one could put this guy away. Go watch. I'm telling you, your homework assignment is to go watch the first Benson Henderson Donald Cerrone fight. That's your homework assignment. Go watch that fight. WEC 48, April 2010. Nope. I'm sorry. That was the rematch where Benson just absolutely ran him over. Uh, WEC 43, October 2009. That's what it is. October 2009. Go watch that fight. MMA Fighting's Fight of the Year. And how Benson Henderson was able to survive all those submission attempts, I will never be able to tell you. And as Shaheen said in the episode, that's how that fight is how Benson Henderson got the nickname Bendo. A nickname Benson Henderson hated. But that's everybody started calling him Bendo from there. And that is why. Because Donald Cerrone had him in like arm bars and all sorts of different submissions, and Benson Henderson was somehow able to survive all of them. Uh, that guy could not be put away. He got, and a lot of people don't realize too from conversations I've had, the Showtime kick that Anthony Pettis landed on Benson Henderson, it didn't knock him out. That fight went to the final horn. That just shows you how tough that guy was. But people look at the split decisions and stuff, and like I thought, I didn't think there's any controversy in the first Frankie fight. I, for a long time, I thought Frankie won the second fight, but I've gone back and rewatched it, and I thought Frankie won the second fight too. The Melendez fight was a little closer, and then Pettis kind of trucked him in in their second fight at UFC 164. Then he beats Josh Thompson, submits Rustam Kabilov, which is so ridiculous. Like Benson's career is just ridiculous. As far as Habib goes, John Jones has more title wins than Habib has UFC wins. Like, put that into perspective. John Jones has 15 title wins. Habib has 13 UFC wins. George St. Pierre has 13 title wins. Habib has 13 UFC wins. DJ, 12 title wins. And those are in a row, mind you. It's just like the title defenses and the title wins just, they have to matter more. They just have to. And that's why to me, like my, my rush war is John Jones, GSP, DJ, Anderson Silva. There's, there's, that's my rush war. Those are the four. Title wins and title defenses, they have to matter in the GO conversation. They have to. So either way you slice it, John and GSP are both ahead of Habib because GSP has as many title wins as Habib as UFC wins, and John Jones has more. That's crazy. That's insane. It's absolutely nuts. Habib's great. And this is not, it's not, I don't say this bad about Habib. Like Habib, for years, everyone thought like, it was like, well, as soon as Habib fights for the title, he's going to win it. And it took him forever to get a title shot. It took him forever to get over. And the Michael Johnson fight at UFC 205, he got fucked over by the UFC. He got screwed. They were going to try to give him a title fight, but they only used Habib as like a negotiation tactic to get Connor on board to fight Eddie Alvarez and to get those that fight signed. So Habib ended up fighting Michael Johnson instead, and that was the moment that he officially got over. 
cut the promo on the chicken, Conor McGregor. All that. He's talking to Dana White while he's beating the hell out of Michael Johnson. It was crazy. Then he goes and dominates Edson Barboza, and then he dominates Ally Quinta in that crazy fight week at UFC 223. And then he just melts everybody. Runs over Connor, runs over Dustin, runs over Gaethje, and then he just leaves on top. Habib will probably go down as one of the biggest what-ifs in the history of the sport. Where it's like, imagine if he stuck around for four or five more years. Because Habib was, I mean, he was the dude. When he left, he was the dude. But how long was that, was that going to last? I don't know. It's a great what if. And Habib is a crap. I mean, he left as the best fighter on the planet. He just... Is, so Yeah, Yeah. go ahead, man. Uh, um, I just want to add on to this convo that we're having regarding Habib as a girl. I think one of the things people always um, criticize Habib for is his lack of high elite competition, which I kind of disagree because he did fight some of the best fighters in his division during his run, even before he was a champion. And to add on the fact, he there was three times prior to 2018 he was actually scheduled to get the championship. So, like, I reckon if he had got the he had got the championship opportunity in 2014 for Anthony Pettis, and probably after fought you know some of the following contenders, I reckon his legacy would be much more different, and possibly he would have retired more earlier. And possibly maybe for Tyron Woodley for the belt around 2016-17. Who knows? We'll never know. But it, it's always going to be interesting because he was one of those fighters who was truly on a whole other level. And he showed how you can win fights without taking so much damage and using an actual IQ, similar to John Jones. That's all I have to say, man. Thanks. Yeah, it, it, we learned kind of about, at least to me, one of the the, the strangest things I learned about Habib and like how I felt about Habib throughout the end of this all was had he fought Tony Ferguson, I think he would have killed Tony Ferguson. I don't think that fight would have even been competitive. Like it was a fight that needed to be made at the time, but I honestly, I think Habib would have ran Tony over at any point when they fought each other. Honestly. Yeah. And you, you look at the resume, it's, not the who's who, but again, that's not all his fault. He's supposed to fight Gil Melendez. He fights RDA. And someone mentioned earlier, like, didn't Benson get finished by RDA? Yeah, he did. Uh, but that was after that, like, incredible run that nobody talks about. 2009, 2013. Because Pettis finished him, too. During that run. That was, like, the end of it. And then he got beat, and RDA was on, was was freaking on one at that time. No one was beating RDA at that point. Uh, he was just on another level. But yeah, it was RDA. Then he fought Daryl Horcher, which was a short notice fight because Tony Ferguson had to pull out. And then he fought Johnson. Then he fought Barboza, Iaquinta, and then the last three fights. Yeah. So the resume isn't as, as strong as some of these other guys, but I mean, I remember hearing about like I, I was like just. I was like casually a fan when Habib got into the UFC like 2012 ish. And I remember people telling me about Habib in like 2012, 2013. Like I'm telling you right now, when this guy fights, this guy's going to fight for the belt and he's going to win it the first chance he gets. And it was just, he was plagued with injuries and all sorts of issues. But when he finally figured it all out, that's, that's when he started going on that run. And we just, we're, we're never going to know how great he is. 
how great he was going to be. Never going to know. But I still applaud him for going out on his own terms and doing it his way. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Brent, hello. Brent, there you go. Uh, hey, you can hear me, right, Mike? Yep. Okay, cool. My question is, uh, hypothetically, if Adesanya loses to Pereira, what are his options, and what do you think he does? Uh, heck of a morning. Hmm. Hope that Pereira goes to two hundred five. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, man. That's it's it's a really interesting spot for him to be in if he loses this fight. And by the way, a little uh, a little teaser for you. Uh, GC and I have always found a way to like sync up. Like we have the same brain when it comes to like the watch parties and cold opens and stuff like that. Wait till you see the cold open for the 287 watch party. It is fucking electric. It's incredible. GC sent me over the video with like the music I chose. It's so ridiculous. And I, I cannot wait to voice this over tomorrow. It is going to be Ron Perlman, eat your heart out. Like this, like the UFC does great cold opens. This might be the greatest cold open in combat sports history. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, but man, if he loses, I don't know. Cause I don't know if this is going to be the kind of guy that's like, I'll just fight all these contenders and work my way back up. I don't know. Like, I don't know like what fight would be compelling for him at 185 if he loses to Pereira. Like, what's there? Does he try to fight like Hamza Chamayev? You just fight Paul Costa again and try to like reignite that rivalry in some way. I mean, they're going back and forth on social media. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's a great question. I can't, I'm very interested to hear because I'm sure somebody's going to ask him that during media day or whatever. But yeah, it's a, a very compelling piece to this fight. And I think Izzy can win. Like, I'm picking Izzy to win. Because if Izzy fights the way he needs to fight, he's going to win. He's going to win. But if he fights the same way he did at 281, he's going to get knocked out again. And call it early stoppage or whatever. That was not going to get much better. And, yeah. Izzy's got to go after him. He cannot sit back and and let Pereira hang around. He's got to go out there and try to run him over. If he does that, he's got a very good chance to win this fight. But I think we're going to see those two guys fight again, my friends. Uh, YMVZ, hello. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, I had two questions for you. Um, uh, what do you think of uh, what's going to happen with what do you think is going to happen with um, Justin Gaethje and Dustin? Do you think they're going to run that one back again? And if they do, I just want to say I personally am not 
really digging all these rematches. I think they're kind of redundant at this point. But wanted to get your thoughts on that and also a potential matchup between Jan and Cheeto. Thank you. I mean, if they do Jan and Cheeto, I'm down for it. Um, they could give Cheeto Umar because Cheeto ain't going to say no to that or anything. So, yeah, if they did Cheeto versus Jan, it's a great fight. I'd love to see it. Uh, be a big, important fight for both guys, especially Piotr Jan being on the, the losing streak that he's on right now. Um, oh, Brenda, I had you. I was going to go to you next. Um, I, th- I think Poirier Gaethje could happen. But honestly, I don't think it's a fight that's going to get booked until after 288. If Darius beats Oliveira, then yes, I think that's the fight that's going to be made. But if Darius loses to Oliveira, I could see Poirier getting a title shot. I don't know. That fight's going to, uh, the result of that fight is going to have impact on what happens next for those two guys. But both guys seem to want it. I mean, I want to see it again. It was a fight of the year the first time, probably a fight of the year the second time. So sign me the hell up for that. But I wouldn't say that's like locked in stone yet until we find out what happens with Darius and Oliveira. Because I think if Oliveira wins that fight, I don't think they're just going to throw him right in there with Islam again. Um, but I could see a world where Poirier gets that title shot if Darius doesn't win. But if Darius wins, he's getting a title shot. And then they'll do Gaethje versus Poirier. And probably the winner of that gets a title fight next. As strange as that may sound to some of you. Uh, let's go to Emilio. Hello. Hello, sir. Hello, Mike. How you doing? I uh, hope you're having... Good. Great. Hope you're having a heck of a morning. Uh, all right. I'm going to keep it short, but, but sweet. Um, who do you think is the bigger dick rider? Uh, AK for Tony Ferguson, New York Rick for John Jones, or Jet for... Who is it? Islam slash uh, Umar. Thanks, Mike. Wow. Emilio, come with the heat. Um, golly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the phrasing a little bit. Um, hmm. That's a good question. I'm not going to go with the, the DR term. Uh, who's the bigger fan of said fighter? <sighs> Probably New York Rick with John Jones, just because it's it's a day one thing. Uh, although AK having Tony Ferguson in his rankings at like number eight for way longer than he should have um, causes me to think a little bit. And Jed's been all in on Islam for a while, but I'll go with New York Rick. Longevity, longer relationship. Longer term. Yeah, I'll go with that as the bigger fan of said fighter and not the other term that you used. Uh, All right. Last call. Giving it a 10 count. So I got a million things to do. We do have a BTL today, 1230 Eastern. Uh, It's just going to be Jed and I shooting the shit. 
no competition. Talk about what happened last week. No UFC this week. All the stuff going on this weekend. We'll talk about Texas being Texas. All sorts of fun stuff. Um, all right. Terrence gets the closing word. Terrence. Yo. Yo. Um, so, <clears throat> quick question. So, uh, you kind of didn't want to talk about it as much yesterday. Somebody asked you the question in regards to media and, like, not follow-up questions. So, it was yesterday, day before yesterday. Um, <clears throat> when will we have, like, someone like a Ariel? Like, I know, like, for example, I've seen a clip of him asking Dana White a question. Um, and I think it was Henry Cejudo. Oh, yeah, it was a Henry Cejudo thing where he's like, will the flyweights be dead after this weekend if Henry loses or what have you? And Dana didn't want to answer the question. He kept asking follow-up questions and made Dana uncomfortable. And he finally was like, I'm not answering the question. <laughs> like, that is the answer. Um, we don't have anybody like that anymore. Will we see that again? Um, it's the reasons to why we don't see anything like that. It's because... We don't have, like, you guys don't have, like, enough leverage with your companies to where, like, they're like, oh, so-and-so can't come here anymore because he's asking these difficult questions. Like, I've asked this before to um, someone else, and they're like, oh, we're not, that's not a journalist's job. But then you have, like, people, like, the oldest example I can think of is Barbara Walters who asked these follow-up questions. And, like, First Take and, like, all these other people who ask these follow-up questions that I feel that should be asked. And it's just like Dana White's getting privileged because he owns the company. And I don't know if there's some kind of like organization or if you guys had like um, something that would protect you guys from being barred if you ask those difficult questions. Because then I think Dana will more or less not get away with as much as he does. That's all I got. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think people... Tr- I think people have tried to challenge Dana, but I mean Dana has Dana has a go-to. He when Dana has when Dana doesn't have like the answer that is probably the right answer, he will try to flip it back on the reporter. Uh, and he's done it a lot. He did it this past Saturday. Uh, I remember when Brett Okamoto was asking Dana about New Year's Eve and and some of the conversations that happened with that. Uh, Dano just fired back questions at Brett uh, and then it turns into like something totally different. So, I mean, I don't know, man, it's, it's tough. Like a lot of the press conference stuff, like if you watch that clip from with Ariel, he's sitting in the chair with the microphone in his hand and he could, he's got the power of the mic. Uh, it's not like that anymore. It's not like that anymore. If you go to those press conferences, uh, you get to stand in line, you get like two questions and then they scoot your ass on out of there. Um, and that, cause there's a line of people waiting to get up to that microphone and try to ask questions. So, um, and that's probably another reason why Dana for the most part doesn't do those pressers sometimes. I mean, he did the John Jones one, but for the most part, you see John Anik up there, uh, cause John ain't going to get those questions. And if John got him, he would answer them in a very professional manner and then they would move on. So I don't know. I, I don't think anyone's like, a, like afraid, like again, to me, like, it doesn't matter. Like, if I went to a press conference and I asked Dana a bunch of questions, like, and they're like, oh, you can't come anymore, then fuck me, right? Who cares? And I would care. I could care less if that happened um, because I very rarely cover events now anyways. I go and do the watch parties and, and so forth and so on. Like, I've said this a million times. If MMA fighting sent me out to fight weeks, 
like flew me out Tuesday and I just did Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then took like a red eye Friday into New York to do the watch party Saturday. I would do that in a heartbeat. I would do that in five seconds. I would rather do that than do the whole fight week thing and just sit in the back on Saturday. I like asking questions. I like talking to the fighters, but like the best part of fight week to me is not just, Ooh, I get to go to the fights on Saturday. It's like doing the extra stuff, doing the interviews that nobody else is getting and having conversations that nobody else is doing and doing different things that nobody else is doing. Like that's the type of shit that I like to do. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Dane is very good at like sh- being shifty when it comes to that stuff. And some people can take it and keep carrying on. And some people can't. Now, a lot of times you realize that no matter what you say to Dana and how many times you ask it, he's not going to say shit. To, he's just not going to say anything. Uh, he's going to try to flip it back. And then he's just going to be like, next question and move on. Uh, and then you just kind of, kind of have to let it go. Like, what, what are you going to do? Just like steal the mic from the PR person and keep trying to ask him questions. It's tough. And it's very difficult to get a one-on-one with Dana. Getting a one-on-one with Dana, like you can ask those questions. It's you and him. You got the mic in your hand. You're not waiting for anybody else. No one's trying to interrupt you. It's different, but he doesn't do a ton of one-on-ones. He does the one-on-ones with people that aren't going to ask those questions. You'll see next week. You'll see who he does interviews with next week. And you'll completely see how this all plays out. He ain't doing one with me. He's not doing one with Ariel. Uh, he'll do one with the barstool people who are just going to put them over. And that's that. The outkicks, they're just going to put them over, not going to challenge them. That's what Dana does. And Dana's smart because there's still going to be articles written about those interviews. Because Dana talking to somebody, but no, no, none of those people are going to challenge him. And that's it. I don't think anybody's like afraid of it. Just when you deal with that and you sit there and you watch it, you're almost just like, oh, let's just move on. This is a waste of my time. But without getting like an actual one-on-one with him, it's, it's really tough. It's really tough because there's people, multiple microphones. They're taking the mic away. One more question, one more question, all that. Uh, well, Vikings here, I promised him that if he came back, uh, I would get him to the front. But this has to be the final question. I have to go. Viking, hello. How are you? Good. What's up? Oh, life's good. I just want to. I just wanted to ask about the judging. I mean, with the chip on his sh- shoulders, uh, what uh, should UFC needs to what UFC should do in terms of bad judging I mean the sports is it's still evolving uh, so in terms of judging what should be done by UFC's part I know that the athletic commission hires uh, judges but still is there anything that UFC could do about the judging thanks a lot thank you Uh, no there's nothing they can do because you said it commissions they bring on whoever they want Uh, they assign whoever they want 
and you just kind of have to deal with it. Um, I'm digging into this Fury FC thing. Uh, talked to a lot of people about it. So I kind of just gave away what my, my next project's going to be. Um, the whole referee blunder from this past Friday. But I've talked to like everybody involved, people who were there, uh, people who watched it, people who have insight to officiating. Uh, talked to both fighters. Talked to the promoter. I mean, it's I have like multiple hours of uh, audio on all with all of these individuals. Uh, and one of the things that was brought up to me uh, from the promoter of Fury FC is that when the TDLR released their statement to us about everything that happened, uh, I'll pull it up real quick because uh, this was refuted. I just want to make sure I have a correct so I'm not like misquoting myself. Do, do, do. Let's see. So I sent this out Saturday morning. This is response. Uh, TDLR is aware of concerns about the officiating one of last night's fights. All TDLR officials receive ongoing training. We monitor each fight for consistency and officiating. Fight officials for each competition are always selected in conjunction with promoters. Uh, that, w- that last sentence right there, fight officials for each competition are always selected in conjunction with promoters. Uh, the Fury FC president told me uh, that is not true. There's no truth to that at all. Um, they are given the weigh-ins happen and they are giving a sheet of paper saying, these are the refs for these fights. This is what you got to pay them. That's it. They have no insight. They have no decision-making power whatsoever in choosing who refs or who judges and all of that. In fact, there are certain times, and I'm not, this is not just with Texas. This is with other commissions as well, where other commissions will be like, Come on, we want to put our guy in here. We want to put our guy in here. In fact, I was told Frank Colazzo, who was the referee for that fucking atrocity on Friday, uh, was supposed to be the judge in the main events. And then we got a different Texas judge, and that guy is the one who scored that fucking fight from Marlon Vera. So these are Texas officials. And from what I understand... That last sentence, the fight officials for each competition are always selected in conjunction with promoters, is bullshit. It's not true. That's what the, uh, the Fury FC promoter told me. And you'll hear that and see that for yourself when that comes out. But, yeah, the UFC has no power in this at all. The only thing they can do is just they don't go to Texas anymore. But Texas is a, is a pretty hot bed for MMA right now. It's tough. It's tough. There's, I mean, Texas is a hot spot for the sport. And they got major cities that all watch it and are fans. Dallas, Houston, even San Antonio. Will they probably avoid San Antonio for the foreseeable future? Yeah. I don't think they're going to be going back to San Antonio anytime soon. But we've seen shitty judges in Houston. They were better, like, when they came back. Uh, But, yeah, I don't think they go back to San Antonio anytime soon. But, I mean, that's really all you can do is just not go back to those areas. But you're still going to be dealing with the commission if you go to Dallas and you go to Houston. But you're not going to get the same names and the same faces 
that you got in San Antonio that like, if you go back to Dallas, you're not going to get those same people. Uh, like Frank Colazzo isn't refereeing fury cards for the most part outside of that San Antonio area. So like Frank's probably not going to be in Dallas because that's also like a long way away. Texas is a massive state. It's huge. It's like the size of a lot of countries. So yeah, I wish there was something we could do, but we can't. Nothing we could do. Uh, there's nothing the UFC can do. Uh, that's it. That's it. All right. Ani, I apologize. You get first crack tomorrow. I gots to go. So thank you very much. Uh, BTL, 12.30. Don't miss it. We're also going to have a preview show later on today, a little uh, a little weekend preview. We don't have a UFC, but we do have Bellator. We got PFL. Uh, we got the Game Bread Boxing. We got Fight Circus. We got Anthony Joshua. You will have plenty of stuff to watch, but we are done. Thank you very much. You are the best. Back tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern. We'll do it again. Have a heck of a morning, everybody. Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.